the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. We're underway on a Thursday at seven minutes past the hour. I'm a liar. Now it's eight minutes past the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday, the fifth morning of the fifth month, Cinco de Mayo in the year of our Lord, 2022. In addition to being Cinco de Mayo, it happens to be the birthday of my father-in-law. So happy 90th birthday to Don Dombrowski. Very, very uh, uh, big day for you. That's a milestone moment. So... Zero. That's a big number. That's a tremendous, uh, tremendous thing. So happy birthday to him. We got a very big show for you today as well. Coming up in about a half an hour, Dave Rubin is going to be joining us, and we're going to be talking about his book. And by the way, I love the fact that Dave Rubin is being just shredded for "Don't Burn This Country" by the the American left, the American left media just shredding him for writing Don't Burn This Country, Surviving and Thriving in Our Woke Dystopia. Uh, he's a best-selling author uh, already, and this one is going to be another bestseller. And Dave Rubin is going to join us to talk about woke America and what uh, is happening and what can be done to perhaps stop and save this country. So that's coming up at 9.35. The left hates him because he turned right. That's right, he's a convert. Uh, the Daily Beast, I was just looking at this uh, this article briefly, uh, on the Daily Beast, and its headline just kind of tells the whole story, that the ex, uh, how did they phrase this? Hold on a second here. The former leftist, and now it's frozen. That's dynamite. Just love it. Uh, at any rate, uh, after years of hiding his true self from the world, they write, seemingly ashamed of who he is, he now says he's loud and proud to be a hardcore Donald Trump supporter and a conservative. They hate losing members of the cult the cult of leftism, the cult of wokeism, the cult of Marxism. They hate losing them. And so when they do, and when people wise up, uh, then, of course, they have to shred them. And that's exactly what they're doing here, which probably is the best 
um, promotion, I guess, of his new book that you could possibly get. What would be better promotion than other than the left telling people don't read it? This guy's trash. That's exactly when we have to go and read it. So we'll talk about uh, talk with Dave Rubin about that at ten ten. Doctor Everett Piper will join us as he does as we continue to discuss and battle in the culture wars. He's going to have a lot to say on the Supreme Court situation that we are all obviously watching very very closely with the draft opinion having been leaked. I've got plenty of thoughts on that here coming up in the opening monologue, and then at ten thirty five, probably the one you've been waiting for. I interviewed this gentleman probably a half a dozen times over the course of the last uh, four months or so in the campaign, uh, you know, for the election of in the GOP primaries uh, in the Senate race. I interviewed most of the candidates actually that num- that number of times, but I but I recall his, and I'm going to specifically recall his now because I'm going to have him back on at 10:35. And over the course of those half a dozen interviews or so, I grilled him. I grilled J.D. Vance so hard on his past statements, not just about Donald Trump, but about Trump supporters, Trump voters, that I was surprised he kept coming back on. And I told him he has my deep respect for that. Because not a lot of people grill him like that. Most of the people who are interviewing J.D. Vance are doing, you know, like what Tucker Carlson does, which are fanboy interviews. And Tucker Carlson has fanboyed J.D. Vance since the beginning of this campaign in the election that ended on Tuesday, or that was held on Tuesday, in the, the race that ended on Tuesday. Uh, I have not done fanboy interviews with J.D. Vance. I have grilled him, and I did such a, a grilling of him two interviews ago that the Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer wrote an entire article about J.D. Vance getting the endorsement of Trump and included a ton of content from our interview. They actually called me to interview me and say, you know, hey, that was pretty impressive. You know, you're a conservative radio host, and you went after, uh, you know, Republican J.D. Vance. I said, I had to, because I don't know who he is. I don't know what he is. And I don't know whether I can trust this endorsement from Trump. I don't know if I can trust his own words. So I had to really dig down and, and drill down as far as I could with J.D. Vance. And multiple times after interviews that I did with him in which I really held his feet to the fire about certain things, he would text me afterwards and say, thank you um, for the time. It, you were very hard but very fair. Josh Mandel did something similar a couple of different times. When I grilled Mandel on uh, his his um, uh, his campaign approach, uh, uh, you know, and attacking Mike Gibbons about things that Gibbons never said, and I would challenge Mandel on that, and he responded, "You were hard, but you were fair, because the questions are fair." Anyway, this would be the first time I have interviewed interviewed J.D. Vance as the Republican nominee for the Senate seat held by Rob Portman. He is now in a one-on-one, not with other conservative-minded people, but he is one-on-one with Tim. Ryan. And so I'm going to talk to JD about what he has to do to win back the conservative base that really, really did not like the fact that Trump endorsed him and that now uh, he is going to need to cast votes to beat Tim Ryan. And I will tell him the same thing that I told you yesterday. It is up to us now to build a wall that separates Tim Ryan from the United States Senate. And it is up to us now to make sure that the seat that is currently red as as much as it is with a rhino like Rob Portman in it, we have to make sure that that red seat, stay, red seat stays red as much as it can be with somebody like J.D. Vance in it, right? And not allowed to turn blue. It is that important. This is a battle that we absolutely must engage in. And so I asked people on my Facebook page and on my Truth Social page yesterday, 
last night. And I do have uh, I do have uh, Truth Social account. Follow me there if you are on Trump's Truth Social at Always Right WHK. And I asked people there and on my Facebook page, what do you want to know? What do you want me to ask J.D. Vance that will help you come around and say, I didn't support him, I supported Mandel. I didn't support him, I supported Gibbons. I didn't support him, maybe even in, in, supported Dolan or Pukita or somebody. But now that he's the guy, what do you need to know from him? What do you need to hear from him that will bring you around so that you are part of getting him into the Senate instead of Tim Ryan? What do you want to know? So if you have not visited me on either one of those pages, uh, do so now. Go to my Facebook page, uh, Always Right. Go to my personal page if you happen to be one of the 5,000 friends. Uh, you can do that there, too, because I put it in both places. Or find me on Truth Social. And answer the question in the thread, what do you want to know from J.D. Vance this morning? Because I'm going to ask him at 1035 your questions, some of mine, but certainly your questions as well. He is the Republican nominee now. Does that change things for you? If it doesn't, I would suggest to you that you rethink it because it should. All right? That's, that's my belief. So we've got a lot to get into today. Those are your guests, Dave Rubin, Dr. Everett Piper, and new confirmed Senate GOP nominee, J.D. Vance, going to be on the program this morning. You can join me when you want at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers. You may also sound off on the alwayswrite.us page, alwayswrite.us. That is my webpage. Look at today's top stories there. And make sure you click the sound off button on the upper right-hand side. It's a red button. It says sound off. You can record your message for the show. If it's a question for me, I'll play it, and then I'll answer it. If it's a comment, I'll play it, and then I'll comment on it. Either way, if you've got something to say and you can't wait on hold, do it that way. Use alwayswrite.us. That's alwayswrite.us. Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the uh, uh, monologue this morning, I want to ask you to stand up if you are a patriot. Face your flag if you have one nearby. If you do not, don't sweat it. Just close your eyes and imagine one, because we know what you are pledging your allegiance to. It is an idea. It is this wonderful constitutional republic that we are going to fight to defend. There's just no question. That's what we have to do. It's been gifted to us, and we must maintain that gift for our next generation and the one after that. So let's fight together. If you are a leftist, if you are a believer that the MAGA movement in this country is the most extreme movement in the history of the United States of America, as stated by the President of the United States. If you believe that 75 million voters for Trump and the MAGA movement back in 2020 represents the extreme, the most extreme political organization in history, then you probably don't want to stand and pledge your allegiance to that flag anyway. Go ahead and take a knee over there by your favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Uh, I know that by now you have already heard it, but just in case, and quite frankly, just to make sure that you hear it loudly and clearly so that you can react to it appropriately. Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history. This MAGA crowd 
is the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history. You're the extremist because you believe that since the Constitution never, ever once mentions the word abortion, that the Supreme Court decision of 1973, adding it as a constitutionally protected right, if you believe that that is something that should not have happened, that makes you an extremist. If you believe that defending babies from dismemberment, that 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 protecting babies from being dissolved with acid in the womb, and that's essentially what one of the procedures is, if you believe that puncturing the back of a baby's skull with scissors <clears throat> as it's on its way through the birth canal, <clears throat> excuse me, of its mother, and then sucking its brain out and calling that just a... That's health care. Because that's what third trimester and partial birth abortions are all about. If you believe all of that must stop, then it makes you the most extreme political organization that has existed in American history. He literally said that. And the worst part about it is Joe Biden knows full well of what he speaks. He knows full well that that's not an extremist position, that that's a very reasonable position. How do we know that he knows that? Because he admitted, he admitted that abortion kills a child. It doesn't just vacuum up a clump of loose cells. It doesn't just clean out a woman's uterus of some some accidental protoplasm that's left there. He acknowledged that abortion kills children before saying that that's okay with me. And it's an extremist position to say that abortion killing children is not okay. His own words. So the idea that we're going to make a judgment that is going to say that no one can make the judgment to choose to abort a child based on a decision by the Supreme Court, I think goes way overboard. The idea that no one can make a judgment to abort a child. He didn't say, he didn't say, provide health care for a woman. Because that's what they're telling you. Abortion is just a health care procedure between a woman and her doctor. And it's nobody else's business. It's just health care. He didn't say it was health care. He said it's aborting a child. There is no way to state that any more clearly. There's no ambiguity there, is there? He specifically defended the right to abort a child. Abort means to terminate, to kill in the womb a child. And those were his words. And he said, this, by the way, is is." is pretty much accepted in every major religion around the world. Killing babies is like A-OK in religions around the world, in all religions and all cultures. Wow. That's extraordinarily, or extraordinary, and it's extraordinary for a reason, because it's extraordinarily false. Joe Biden calls you an extremist while defending the right to dismember and dissolve and destroy and vacuum and puncture and kill babies, his own words, aborting a child, not providing a health care procedure for a woman.
And speaking of women, how about the fact that suddenly women are back in existence? As little as a week ago, the left wouldn't define what a woman is. Katanji Brown-Jackson was confirmed as a Supreme Court justice while saying, I don't know what a woman is, I'm not a biologist. Now suddenly it's women, 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 women. What happened to birthing persons? What happened to men having babies? Isn't it kind of interesting now that they need women to be a a protected class again when they need women to be the victims of misogyny, the victims of sexism, the victims of having their rights stripped away because they're women. Suddenly women are a thing again, aren't they? That's what we're hearing from, well... How dare they... How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? How dare they? How dare they try to stop her from determining her own future? How dare they try to deny women their rights and their freedoms? How about that? Women, 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 not birthing persons. I didn't hear any alternative pronouns in there. She said her body. How dare they tell women what to do with her body? How about that? No alternative pronouns. No exeers or exams. Suddenly women are a thing again. Do you understand how blatantly transparent These cowardly leftists are. Women aren't worth protecting when it comes to women's sports. Women aren't worth protecting when it comes to their own existence. But when we need to to scream misogyny and sexism, women suddenly become a member of the protected class again. Suddenly we have to acknowledge womanhood. And it's women that are being having their rights to destroy their lives within their bodies, stripped away from them by men. Suddenly, we're a binary species again. Suddenly, there's only two genders. Suddenly, there's only two sexes. When they need women to be there to be victims, they'll acknowledge womanhood. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. You want to react to that? We'll get you up and on the radio before the bottom of the hour. Dave Rubin, after the bottom of the hour. Always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Nine twenty-seven on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Appreciate you being with us. Don't forget, I'm looking for your questions for the new GOP nominee for the Senate seat held by Rob Portman. JD Vance will join me about an hour from now, a little over an hour at ten thirty-five. And I've been asking people on social media, "What do you want to know specifically?" Because I know there's still a lot of people angry, saying yesterday, "I will not vote for JD Vance," or "I don't know if I can vote for JD Vance," which of course puts things in play for the Democrat. And I want to make a uh, Democrat, which is around. I want to make something very clear too, because I had some people <clears throat> challenge me on my call for support for Vance. Um, even though you may not think of him as a true conservative, you may think of him as a rhino and so on and so forth, which is why it's angered so many of the conservative base when Trump endorsed him. Why I can push for Vance to be supported, but not for Mike DeWine. I mean, isn't it all about making sure that the Republicans beat the Democrats, even if the Republican isn't perfect? 
and saying, how can you be, you know, how can you have it both ways? And I, and I think I've explained it fairly well, but just to clarify it for you, I believe that if Mike DeWine is governor or if Nan Whaley is governor, we will have essentially the same governor. And you might say, well, then why wouldn't you want the Republican to be the one? Number one, because I don't want this state to be torn down which I believe it will be, with the Republican at the helm, because eventually that will catch up with us and the Republican Party will be blamed for uh, the lackluster economy, for the terrible jobs performance, everything that Mike DeWine has been known for, everything that John Kasich was known for before that. If the state is going to crumble, I'd rather have it crumble at the hands of a Democrat so we can say let's fight back and bring a true conservative in to replace somebody like Nan Whaley. Number two, I believe that the weak and cowardly leadership of the GOP in the General Assembly. And I'm talking about the Speaker. I'm talking about the Senate President. I'm talking about all of the top-ranking Republicans in the General Assembly are terrified to cross Mike DeWine. So even when Mike DeWine vetoes something that we believe is good for the country, or for the state, rather, things like you know House Bill 248, which is providing true medical freedom and stopping anybody from, uh, uh, you know, the, the ridiculous lockdown orders and the destructive things that were done if there's another health emergency. We couldn't even get that passed because uh, they don't want to cross Mike DeWine. Our leadership wouldn't even bring it up for a vote because they said DeWine's going to veto it. Well, we have enough members of, of the GOP and the General Assembly to override a veto, but they won't override a DeWine veto because they don't want to cross them. They will override a Democrat veto. So if I'm given just a binary choice between DeWine and the Democrat, I won't vote for either one of them. I will write in a, a, a candidate. But if the Democrat wins, I think it's better for us in the long run because Mike DeWine is that bad as a Republican. I think it's a very different scenario when it comes to the Senate race between Vance and Ryan. We'll talk more about that with J.D. Vance coming up at 1035, as promised. But also, as promised, Dave Rubin will join me after the news right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. the darkness of tyranny always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political organization that's existed in american history oh what's going on fellow extremists thanks for being with us 938 always right radio on am 1420 the answer online at alwaysright.com. i want to dive right into this so we can get as much time as possible with our first guest this morning, Dave Rubin. You probably already know him. If you don't, you have just not been dialed into uh, conservative politics and, quite frankly, the culture wars that we continue to fight uh, here in uh, uh, in the United States of America. Dave is the host of the Rubin Report. It's a top-ranking YouTube talk show, recognized as one of the most influential spaces for honest conversations about complex issues and current events. It says so right here in his bio. Uh, he's also known for his iconoclastic and candid approaches to big ideas and support for free speech. That makes him my friend and yours. His first book uh, was uh, Don't Burn This Book, a New York Times bestseller. The new one is Don't Burn This Country. It is destined for equal success. Uh, surviving and thriving 
living in our woke dystopia. Dave Rubin, thanks for joining us this morning. How are you? I'm doing well. And, uh, you know, that clip that you threw there, I mean, it's kind of impressive when Biden can throw together a full sentence, huh? Without, <laughs> yeah. without fumbling through. I mean, when he gets six words out in a row that all seemingly make sense together, whether you agree with the context or not, it's pretty impressive. It's rare. It is. So, yeah, you got to give credit where it's due. He doesn't do that often, and so I will give him credit for it, regardless, as you say, of the subject matter. Dave, uh, so good to have you on the program. I, I greeted uh, everyone with fellow extremists. Um, what, what, is your, what is your reaction to that? I mean, now let's talk about the content. Kudos for the coherent sentence, President Biden. Now let's talk about the content of that, that the MAGA movement, 75 million voters for Donald Trump in 2020, are the most extremist political organization in American history. Yeah, I mean, it's complete nonsense, but everything that comes out of this man's mouth and this entire administration and almost every mainstream Democrat at this point is complete nonsense. Uh, you know, the, the MAGA movement, this basic idea of America first and let's believe in capitalism and let's believe that our founding documents are fundamentally good and let's believe in independent uh, rights, you know, equal rights for everyone that's here legally and all of these things. These are basic, fundamental American principles. That's what the MAGA movement is about. As a matter of fact, uh, last night I was at Mar-a-Lago uh, for Dinesh D'Souza's 2000 Mules, this new documentary about election fraud, uh, and Trump spoke. And, you know, it was basically a who's who of, you know, everyone on this, this wide swath new right. And I can tell you that there is a tremendous amount of political diversity there. Uh, yes, there's some diversity that the left is obsessed with in terms of skin color and gender and sexuality and that. I don't really care about that stuff. But I was wandering around the place and I'm seeing all of these people. And man, I, I know all of these people and they're all over the political map. It's not like everyone believes exactly the same thing. That's a very American idea. That actually is what the, the MAGA thing is all about. And in many ways, I was arguing as uh, someone that did not vote for Trump the first time around, but did uh, very proudly vote for him the second time around, I kept arguing, you know, this guy is defending conservatism and liberalism because he's con- obviously defending conservatism and ter- types of the judges that he puts on and things of that nature. But he was also defending liberalism in that the woke and the progressives have become the most illiberal force uh, in America, certainly in my lifetime, and he was going after them. So he in some ways was trying to save liberalism from the liberals. It sounds sort of bizarre, but I really think he was doing that. So Biden is just lost and He's got nothing left. I mean, the thing is, the country is in such a bad shape at the moment that all Biden's got at this point is, oh, these people are racist extremists. You better vote for me. Well, that's all any of them have. And uh, you're you're exactly right. You know, it's funny when you say liberals, saving liberals from liberals. Uh, My friend Dennis Prager often talks about the difference between liberals and leftists. And there is a very Mm -hmm. very big difference here. Is that kind of what we're talking about, that that modern liberalism has been co-opted by by full-on leftism. And full-on leftism, is, I'm sure you would agree, is essentially socialism and essentially Marxism. And that liberalism... Really yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Dennis Prager is a good friend of mine as well. He was there last night. And Dennis has been talking about this really for, for decades. And then I was one of the people that sort of brought that idea that liberalism has nothing to do with le- uh, leftism into the modern sense. I did a video about seven years ago with Prager U when I, because I was a former leftist. I was a Bernie supporter back in 2015. I started seeing what was going on that these people were not acting liberally. It is not liberal to silence your opponents. It is not liberal to run around and call everybody bigots and racists. It's not liberal to believe in collectivism, liberalism. Classical liberalism is the idea of the individual 
uh, and laissez-faire economics and limited government. It sounds more of what, what we think of as a libertarian uh, in a modern context, but that has virtually nothing to do with anyone who is a Democrat today. So the easiest example for people that don't fully follow all of the language around this, JFK, who was obviously a liberal Democrat, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That is the reverse of today's Democratic Party. They would never say do something for your country. All they say is your country must do for you, which of course is a, a crazy premise because a country is just uh, you know, the state is, in essence, just what the people make it. Uh, so the state can't give you anything that it hasn't taken from you in the first place. Uh, so there really are no liberals left. You know, we've got sort of like a Bill Maher type who basically just repeats conservative talking points two years later after voting for the wrong people. But there are virtually no liberals in an American sense anymore. I would say there are sort of new school conservatives. There are what I would say I am, sort of. I, I don't think I'm a traditional capital C conservative, but I would say I'm a former liberal mugged by reality, and that's enough to make me a conservative. I want to conserve the America that we've had here for 250 years. We're talking to Dave Rubin, uh, who is, of course, a best-selling author. His latest book is Don't Burn This Country, Surviving and Thriving in Our Woke Dystopia. So, Dave, uh, we're talking about liberalism. We're talking about leftism. We're talking about progressivism. Now let's talk about wokeism, which, of course, is what you write about here. How do you describe the woke mob or the woke cult or wokeists in, in general? I mean, basically, the woke are a really evil combination of sort of economic and then race and gender collectivists. So we started with this woke thing in America. It, store, it sort of started out of the progressive movement, sort of the Bernie movement, which was about economics. And there were some legitimate things to argue about. I, don't, I didn't think his, uh, his solutions were good in that socialism and more power to the state is not good. But he had this idea that it was sort of the people versus the machinery. What happened was the, the race hucksters, the, the quote-unquote anti-racists, and the LGBTQ LMNOP mob, and all of these people jumped on this. And what they did was they created a situation where people's immutable characteristics, your gender, your sex, your sexuality, your skin color, uh, that those became the most important things about you. And none of us actually believe that. Uh, anyone that's listening to this knows that whatever color you are or sexuality or gender you are, that, may, that is a facet of who you are for sure, but that is not the sum totality of who you are. But they have decided, oh, if you are black, you must think this. If you are gay, you must think this. If you're a woman, you must think this. And of course, that is the ultimate anti-liberal position because it's, it's completely against the individual. It turns us all into cogs in a machine, in essence. And this is something that they've really, they've pushed on everything. I mean, the, the woke thing that is that we all see now, it has infected Disney, it has infected Netflix, it has infected Harvard and Yale and all our uh, corporate institutions, it, is, it has infected our the U.S. Army, it has infected all of our political institutions. So I always say you have to give the devil his due. You may not like what they're doing, but they've been extremely good at doing it. And the book is really about, well, okay, we have to acknowledge that they've been good at doing it, and now how do we sort of separate from them and build new things? Uh, we're talking to Dave Rubin, host of the Rubin Report, author of Don't Burn This Country, Surviving and Thriving in Our Woke Dystopia. You know, you, you just pointed out all of the things that they uh, that they they target and, and all of the things that they support, but they're not always together. And, in fact, you're in your second chapter. You, you talk about how they're not cohesive. Um, intersection of different... 
uh, protected classes sometimes causes their biggest problem. Uh, if they're, if, for example, it, with with the Roe versus Wade leak and the situation we're dealing with right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're screaming. Kamala Harris is screaming. We have to protect women's rights. Women, women, women. Suddenly, you know, three or four days after it's pregnant persons, men can be pregnant. Apple released the emoji. Suddenly, it's women, women, women. It's funny how when they have. Uh, a need for a victim class, which in this case would be the victims of misogyny and sexism, suddenly women are a thing. But women are not a thing when they're trying to promote a different protected class, which, of course, would be the trans or the LGBTQ class. So it's kind of amazing how they really battle one another depending on the issue of the day. It's quite extraordinary, actually, how they can spin endlessly. But, you know, if you don't have any root beliefs, your basic sort of zero-sum beliefs, if they don't make any sense, they're just based on whatever's happening on any given day, you're going to constantly say crazy things. That's why so many Democrats seem completely unhinged right now. That's why Elizabeth Warren is screaming outside the Supreme Court. That's why Kamala Harris is giving that crazy speech. That's why Joe Biden is saying this stuff about MAGA. I mean, these are the same people who only weeks ago couldn't define a woman, right? I'm not a biologist. Suddenly they're obsessed. Uh, with women. They're also lying about, of course, what the Roe v. Wade decision is, which, you know, assuming it does get reversed, it's not going to outlaw abortion. It's just going to kick it back to the states. And most states, by the way, are going to have some level of abortion. There'll probably be a small handful of states that outlaw it altogether. But even the ones that outlaw it altogether may have some uh, exceptions related to the health of the the mother or rape and incest, that sort of thing. Uh, But the point is, you'd be able to cross state bounds and California will basically become an abortion haven. And I mean, they'll open up a Disney abortion park over there and and people will be able to go if they so choose to go. The funny thing is, uh, as you probably know, I moved to Florida from Los Angeles in the last few months and I'm living in the free state of Florida and it's quite spectacular here and people are happy and it's booming. Florida just a few weeks ago passed a 15 week ban on abortion. 15 weeks is about three and a half months. Uh, Obviously pro-life people aren't thrilled with that. Uh, but nobody really made a brouhaha about it. It was sort of accepted as uh, just this is a moderate position. I personally would be for even less weeks than that. But the point is that here we did it in Florida, a very moderate situation that you could have some hopefully rare but safe abortions if absolutely necessary. That's what the moderate American position would be. We did it here. Nobody was going crazy about it. And and now the Democrats are screaming that they want eight, nine-month abortions. I mean, there is no position that is too radical for them. No, you're exactly right. We're talking to Dave Rubin, uh, whose uh, new book uh, is going to be just as successful as his last one, uh, Don't Burn This Country. Dave, in Chapter 4, you talk about big government and big tech. And you kind of talk about how they work in concert. But if you had to pick one, which is the greater threat to the freedoms of the people? Well, it's a great question because, you know, traditionally, obviously, big government is what is a bigger threat. I mean, most of the horrible atrocities that have been done throughout mankind, throughout history, have been done by big government. I would say in our modern times, although the government right at this moment is doing some pretty extraordinarily bad things. I mean, I'm sure you're covering them every day from inflation and supply chain and whatever's going on with this crazy war in Ukraine and the litany of terrible things that are happening. The big tech thing, I think, looms larger as a threat because we just don't know how we're being manipulated. Every day we wake up and stories are going viral and people are being canceled and our emotions are being played with and we're being fed stories and we have infinite scroll. You know, I'm sure you're like me, old enough to remember an Internet where you used to get to the bottom of a Web page and then you'd have to click back to top because that was it. There was nothing else on the page. 
Uh, now we have infinite scroll that can keep you in an endless state of more and more and more getting those dopamine hits either for pleasure or for horror or whatever. And I think there's a psychological element to big tech that is that is far more dystopian, word I use in the subtitle, than sort of the traditional way that government can manipulate us. Government can do an awful lot of bad, uh, but big tech right now is doing something that we can't quite quantify. And I, to me, that's a little bit, bit more dangerous at the moment. Uh, we're talking to Dave Rubin about his new book, Don't Burn This Country. Um, Dave, I want to ask you, because you're a, a huge advocate for free speech, as am I. I'm the National Communications Director for Citizens for Free Speech. Uh, it's just something I dabble in on the side, trying to protect the First Amendment rights of Americans. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on the government, di- or excuse me, the disinformation governance board that has been created by Alejandro Mayorkas through Joe Biden, and moreover, his pick to lead that board, Nina Jankowitz. So do you really think that Jankowitz is anywhere near objective enough for this particular job? Yes, I do. And, and by the way, highly regarded as a subject matter expert, and I don't question her objectivity. Do you question Nina Jankowitz's objectivity leading a board that is going to decide what Americans can and cannot say or can and cannot hear? Of course I do, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, she's a far less whack job. I'm sure you've seen some of these other videos of her, but even if she was even if she was fully qualified, whatever that means, or even if she was completely nonpartisan, whatever that means. I mean, these are non, nonsensical phrases. You can't be qualified to stamp down on free speech. You can't be qualified as an expert to tell people what they say. Mayorkas is a, is a complete clown who's, who's allowed 900,000 people to come into America in the last year that they don't even know where they are. Uh, but the idea, the very idea that they've put in a ministry of truth in the United States, that they have said, we are going to monitor disinformation. These are the very people who are the prime purveyors of disinformation. These are the people who lie about everything from Russia collusion to very fine people on both sides to Brett Kavanaugh is a serial rapist to the Covington kids are all racist to Jesse Smollett was uh, lynched. The litany goes on and the, the Hunter Biden laptop story. I mean, we could do this all day. These are the people who lie about everything. So by putting out a quote-unquote ministry of truth, what, what in essence they're doing is saying, hey, we it's not that we're against lies. We're just against your lies, and you guys are catching up to the uh, you guys are you were against you calling out us out on the lies and you guys are just doing it too fast right now. This is an extraordinary assault on free speech. And to get to what we discussed earlier, if there were any real liberals left, they'd be screaming about it. But they're not because they're pretty much all gone. Yeah, do, do you you saw uh, no doubt that um, cartoon that Elon Musk retweeted of the the move oh, yeah. to the yeah uh, the f- move to the very far left and now conservatives mm-hmm. and se- people who were you know center right are are just still sitting there but the left has gone so far. Uh, do, do you agree with that? And and secondly, do you think that the Musk purchase of Twitter will will begin some sort of a change at least in terms of the ability for for the other side to have a say? I do agree with the chart. I actually retweeted and I said, this is my life story in stickman form because it very much maps what I've been sort of yelling about and writing about and talking about for probably 10 years now about, you know, if you just stayed the same, the liberal of 10 years ago, if you just stayed the same, believing the same thing, it's the left that went bananas. You can actually argue that the, the right actually moved leftward. You know, people say that the right moved right, but the, the right actually, I mean, you could just look at marriage equality for one. There's virtually no conservatives out there that are fighting against marriage equality right now it's, it's settled law it's done people accept it you may you may have your own private personal uh, religious views and i'm completely fine with religious liberty but you know 10 years ago we had republicans say rick santorum or 
Mike Huckabee that were that were hugely against marriage equality. These people are are not really part of the party anymore. Trump really changed that. So you could argue that the right moved left, and, and clearly uh, everyone would understand how the left moved left. In terms of Elon, I think this is this is an incredible uh, move by him. I mean, look, this is one man versus the system, and Elon is an extraordinary man who's the richest guy in the world and could do things that most of us can only imagine. Um, but he's one man saying, hey, I- I'm going to get into this fight. You know, he could do anything he wants. This guy could literally, if he wanted to get on a rocket ship this afternoon with his family and go to Mars, he could do it. And instead he said, hey, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to try to do the most dangerous thing, which is defend free speech against all of the forces. Uh, and there's pretty nefarious forces that would love to quash our free speech. So I'm very hopeful for it. I think he has a lot of headaches coming his way, but he's not stupid. I mean, I have, you know, he's a lot of things. He's certainly not stupid. And I think he has really mapped out, I would imagine, all of the ways that they're going to try to get him and all of the problems that he's going to have. You know, what happens if, hey, Trump decides, you know, Trump right now is saying he doesn't want to get back on. But let's say Trump says he wants to get back on Twitter. Is now the Apple Store going to ban the Twitter app from the Apple Store? And what kind of headache does he have there? So there's a lot of problems down the road, but this is it's a chance, man. It's one guy versus the system, and that's what we need. Dave Rubin, host of The Rubin Report, and he is the author of another uh, terrific book, Don't Burn This Country. Dave, I'm going to tell people to do what I'm looking at right now, which is to go to your website uh, and order the book. For, I'm not, I have no interest whatsoever in putting more money into the pockets of The Washington Post, so I'm not going to tell people to go there. <laughs> uh, but go to DaveRubin.com slash book. You'll see it right there. Don't Burn This Country, Surviving and Thriving in Our Woke Dystopia. There's a red button that says pre-order. Do it, and do it quickly, and make sure that you get on the list to get your book as soon as it's available. Do it at DaveRubin.com slash book. Dave, really appreciate you coming on. Better, I, I really appreciate you writing this. This is something that we need. We need a guide, a survival guide, to try to deal with what we're uh, uh, with what we're facing right now. And I think this is a terrific tool. Thank you so much for doing it. Right on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome, indeed. Hour number two underway now. Thanks for joining us. Eight minutes after 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the fifth morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord 2022. Happy Cinco de Mayo if you celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Uh, and again, I will say happy birthday to my father in law who turns 90, the big 9 0 today. Uh, very, very, very great day and a great, very great milestone. And we'll look forward to seeing you at the birthday party tonight, Don Dombrowski. Uh, so we've got a lot to do. Thanks to Dave Rubin. Don't forget, in a half an hour, we're going to grill. And I shouldn't say it like that. I grilled J.D. Vance throughout the entire primary process. Not going to grill him this time, but when he joins me as the new actual confirmed and verified nominee for the Republican Party in the Senate race against Tim Ryan to replace Rob Portman, now I'm going to ask him your question. So it's kind of your grilling in that I've asked you, what do you want to know from him to convince you to support him? 
even if you were a Mandel guy, if you were or or a Gibbons girl, or if you were a supporter of Dolan or anybody else, can you now circle the wagons around J.D. Vance and fight the Democrats in order to make sure that red seat stays red? So I've asked you for your questions. You've answered in spades. I've got tons of them on my Facebook page, on my Truth Social page, and J.D. Vance is coming up at 1035 to answer those questions. Joining me now, however, is our regular Thursday commentator as we discuss the culture wars in this country, Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is a best-selling author. He is a columnist for the Washington Times. He is a past university president. He is also a uh, podcast host, podcast radio host in Oklahoma. His podcast is called The Rebellion. I highly recommend you check it out wherever you get your podcasts. And Dr. Piper joins us now. Good morning, Doctor. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. So, Dr. Piper, last week we talked at length about Oklahoma, and we talked at length about uh, some terrific uh, decisions made by Kevin Stitt. Today you are praising uh, not an Oklahoman but an Arizonan, uh, Arizona State Rep. Jake Hoffman, because he has stood up and almost backed everything that you talked about in your column, your article last week for the Washington Times. You called out all of the uh, educational institutions from pre-K through college for the indoctrination and the over-sexualization of children, and you called for people to stand up and fight back against that. You found a fighter in Arizona. Tell us more uh, about Mr. Hoffman. Everybody needs to go out and Google Jake Hoffman. That's H-O-F-F-M-A-N. He is the sponsor of Arizona House Bill 2495. Mm -hmm. Essentially what he's doing is he's taking the Florida Parental Rights and Education Act that Governor DeSantis signed, and I praise them for that. But we need to ask ourselves a question. That particular act, that law now in California, excuse me, in Florida, that law in Florida makes it illegal for public school teachers to groom our children from ages five through eight, kindergartner through third grade. But that bill in Florida doesn't address what happens in fourth, fifth, sixth grade on up through graduation from high school. In other words, the basic question we should be asking is if it's wrong to sexually groom our children when they're eight years of age in third grade, then why is it all of a sudden okay to change the rules and start letting these sexual predators go after our kids when they're 9, 10, and 11? Well, Jake Huffman in Arizona is taking this on. He has sponsored House Bill 2495, which does exactly what I'm suggesting we should do. And that's make it illegal for these groomers to go after our kids at any age. Why in the world do our public schools make it a top priority to sexualize our kids, regardless of their age? Why aren't our schools simply teaching kids how to count, kids how to read, teach them to use proper pronouns rather than butcher the English language and turn it upside down, teach them that science is real and that women are a fact, and, oh, on history, maybe teach our kids that the Constitution is a good thing rather than the product of racial privilege. Maybe just start there and then shut up and leave our kids alone when it comes to sexuality. Maybe that would be a good idea. And that's exactly what Jake Huffman is doing in Arizona. So I say three cheers for this guy. We all need to be called, even if you don't live in Arizona, call the governor there and say, we stand with Jake Huffman, and when his bill comes across your desk, you better sign it, or we're going to make a big deal about it nationwide. Well, Dr. Piper, I don't have three uh, three cheers queued up, but I do have Can You Dig It? Can you dig it? That's my highest praise (laughs) that I can give to anybody. 
Uh, is it can you dig it? Um, Dr. Piper, I want to turn the question around on you. Um, and what I mean by that is, I know you are asking rhetorically when you say, why can't we just do this? Why can't we teach it the right way? Why can't we stop this, you know, uh, uh, destruction of the language and the, the pronoun change? All the things that you just said, why can't we? Um, you're asking it rhetorically because the answer is, of course, we should be. But try to answer it legitimately from their side in the, in the context of understanding the enemy. Why can't they do that? What is their motivation for all of the things that we are talking about right now? The over-sexualization, the changing of the language, the changing of science and biology and the understanding of the binary, male, female, uh, and so forth. Can, we, can you do that? Can you, can you find a way to get inside their heads and say this is why they are doing that? Yes, we can. And I, there's an excellent book out there by Carl Truman. Carl Truman, who's a professor at Grove City College, he is, he's British. I, had, I think his uh, doctoral work was at Cambridge. Carl Truman has written a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Everybody needs to go get that book. He covers this, that the worldview that we all embrace right now, he says we're all Marxists today. We are all uh, disciples of Rousseau and Nietzsche. We are all Marcusean of the Frankfurt School. We've all been swimming in this swamp for decades, and all of us are wet with this putrid water. So what he's arguing is that the selfishness of our day, the narcissism, the self-worship, the neo-gnosticism of our time, where we think we can define ourselves rather than being defined by God, the, the over-sexualization of our identity, that if you want to do it, that's who you are, that your desires define you, your inclinations are the sum total of your identity. Carl F. Truman covers this, and he starts with Nietzsche, he then goes to Rousseau, he then gets into Marx, and then he gets into the modern Frankfurt School ideology of critical theory, and he says that our schools aren't teaching our kids any longer to be critical thinkers, which is a good thing, to critique ideas, challenge them, and pursue truth. When you and I went to school, Bob, we were taught to be critical thinkers. That's good. Today, all of our students are being taught to be critical theorists. They're embracing critical theory and the subjective identity of Freud and Marcuse. And that's why we have the mess we're in right now. John Dewey, the, uh, the, the premier educator of the modern era of American education, was a Marxist. He embraced Marxism, and he's laughing in his grave right now that his ideas have prevailed on American culture. Dr. Everett Piper laying it out for us, uh, very, very well presented and argued. Dr. Piper, I'm going to move on. We talk about the destruction or the attempted destruction of children by way of uh, indoctrination and sexualization and all the things we're talking about. Now let's talk about the destruction of them before they can even get there. And, of course, I'm talking about the Roe v. Wade situation. You um, retweeted uh, a tweet from Thomas Sowell, and this is a quote from Thomas Sowell, of course, uh, from somebody who is running this on, on, in his, uh, uh, you know, almost in memoriam. Planned Parenthood was founded not simply as an organization for limiting the size of families in general, but more particularly to reduce the reproduction of the black population in the United States, as Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger herself noted. Now, Dr. Piper, I have talked about this for years. I'm sure you have, too. Talk to people who didn't know that. Um, and as they get ready to just, you know, uh, storm the gates, and literally there are gates now in front of the Supreme Court to try to stop this uh, uh, draft opinion, which has been leaked, uh, that is going to overturn 1973's Roe v. Wade. 
Um, talk to them and, and, and let's talk, let's put it on their terms. Everything has to be about race. Everything has to be about victimization. Um, how can pro abortionists, pro death crowd, if you will, knowing full well that the intention of the Planned Parenthood organization and the abortion industry was indeed intended to call the black population. How can these people do that without considering themselves out and out racists? Well, the good news here is when we ask those questions and we shine a light on the facts today, Bob, we're winning. A lot of the pro-life organizations are putting data out there which show that the American opinion on abortion is shifting to the more conservative. And we could spend an entire show going over that data, and I don't have time to do it right now. But posting quotes like this from Thomas Sowell and, um, and uh, shedding a light on the facts, it's just a fact. Nobody can refute the fact that Margaret Sanger was a racist. She believed blacks were inferior. She believed that inferior races were a plague on culture and a plague on the economy. She believed in eugenics. She believed in decreasing the population of problem um, races, problem individuals, problem cultures. She specifically zeroed in on blacks. This need to keep beating and saying it over and over. Dr. Piper, we were doing so well there, but you have cut out almost entirely now. We've lost you. We were trying to work our way through the static, but now you're gone. So here's what we'll do. We'll go away, too. We'll take our time out here. We'll reestablish that connection. We'll come back and talk more about what Thomas Sowell said about this and about the racial implications of Roe versus Wade. And then we'll talk about the actual 1973 decision and whether or not what is about to happen, perhaps which is the overturning of it, is something that we will see this year before the year is out. So we'll connect with Dr. Piper and come right back and talk to him. Okay, 1021 now. we got our break out of the way, and that's good because it gives us a little more time on the back end here with Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper, uh, you were in the midst of a, of a terrific response as we talked about the racial uh, uh, aspect of Roe versus Wade, the racial aspect of abortion, and the intent by the original founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, to call the black population. You want to pick it up where you left off? Yeah, I will. Forgive um, You remember the uh, anchors with Eddie Albert and Jaja Gavor? I do not very well. Oh, shame on you. You're showing your age. Uh, well, some- <laughs> Some people are old enough, like me, to remember that, where Eddie Albert had to crawl up to the top of a phone pole at his farm to make a phone call. So maybe that's my problem. I don't know. Oklahoma. Smoke signal. <laughs> You've got to find any way you can, right? All right. I, I digress. I was saying that Margaret Sanger is a, a racist. That's proven. That's factual. We have her own quotes. We need to keep con- beating that drum, just like you are doing so with the word grooming. They don't like it because you're hitting too close to home. And that's why they're squawking so much. That's why they're complaining. That's why they are protesting too much, to quote Shakespeare. So the issue of the racism of Planned Parenthood is a fact. And the more we say it, the more we shine a light on that truth, the more we're going to continue to push the American public in the right direction. So I think there's good news behind this dark cloud of Margaret Sanger's racism. The good news is it's true. It's provable. We can quote her, and we can quote black leaders such as Thomas Sowell in making our point. And as we make that point, some people will wake up and recognize that if they continue to align with this agenda, they're actually aligning with those who believe in eliminating 
unwanted racist from, excuse me, unwanted races from unwanted races from our economy. And that's what Margaret is saying. I'll, 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 I'll make the point. Keep beating the drum. She's a racist. Planned Parenthood is racist. And we need to make sure people understand it. They want to kill black children because they view, view them as being a plague on culture and a plague on society. You know, and the the remarkable irony of that, of course, is the percentage of the black population that votes Democrat, which is the party that continues to push for the, uh, you know, the destruction of the black population uh, by way of abortion. You know, and it's it's just one of those strange ironies that I just hope, you know, awareness and uh, alertness continues to grow so that they can they can perhaps you know uh, one day turn away from that. Doctor Piper, I want to cross over those two things now i want to talk about abortion and cross over the roe versus wade decision of 1973 and the leaked draft opinion of the supreme court uh that may indeed overturn that uh to the lgbtq movement of course which has determined that there is no such thing as a woman you've made this very very clear that women don't exist uh particularly when it comes to sports they deserve no special protections because they don't exist we can't even define what a woman is but strangely enough when they need to create a victim class here to scream and rant and rave about protecting babies, suddenly women are back. And here's an example. How dare they? How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? How dare they? That's the vice president, Kamala Harris, Dr. Piper. Uh, how dare they tell a woman? Now, I th- thought just three days ago that there was no such thing as women and that people who were pregnant were just that, pregnant persons or pregnant people, because, of course, men can be pregnant now, too. Suddenly, it's women, women, women. Why are these men attacking women? When they need misogyny as a defense for their assault on the preborn, when they need sexism, suddenly they're A-OK with identifying women as just women so this is where intersection comes back to bite uh the leftist movement isn't it intersectionality beg your pardon intersectionality go ahead yeah you're you're referring to critical theory and all the flaws therein the subjective identity claims is a lie and i respond to vice president harris by saying how dare you take a bathroom away from a woman how dare you suggest that she doesn't have the right to her own sport how dare you suggest that men have the right to enter into a woman's shower? How dare you insult women by suggesting that they don't have their own identity, reality, and ontological uh, facts? How dare you use your politics to degrade women? Your misogynist progressivism is nothing but black-facing women giving men the right to appropriate unto themselves things that are not theirs. How dare you pretend to be a feminist when you deny the biological acts of the female? So if you want to play the I dare, how dare you game, bring it on, because you people are shameless. I would add, Dr. Piper, uh, you know, how dare you attack women before they become women? How dare you attack There girls? you go. How dare you? I mean, I, I, I read a number um, that is, of course, an estimate um, a couple of days ago when this whole thing broke about the Supreme Court, that somewhere in the neighborhood of 63 million babies' lives were snuffed out since 1973, since Roe v. Wade became uh, settled uh, in the Supreme Court. Uh, so if we just take half of 63, and the math isn't my strongest suit here, but that's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of, what, about uh, 32.5 million people? If you assume that half of them were girls, 
There's 32 million girls that never got a chance to become women, that never got a chance to have babies of their own, that never had a chance to decide what to do with their bodies as they like to say this. Why is it that they never talk about protecting girl or women before they become a grown women? And, um, and, and again, just I think the other thing that's staggering when you think about 63 million people, which one of them was going to be the one that discovers the cure for disease, for cancer? For, for AIDS, for whatever, which of them was going to be a, a leader of humankind and, and bring us closer to God and, and, and to restore you know, some of the glory of this, of this world. I mean, which of those 63 million and counting were going to be the one? They never talk about that, Dr. Piper. Well, and you're spot on. Again, add to the how dare you response by saying how dare you kill a bunch of female children in disproportionate numbers. You say that let's just give them the benefit of the doubt that it's a 50-50 split. Well, it's not. We know that the data shows that we abort female uh, human beings. We exterminate, we execute female human beings at greater numbers than we do males. We know that's a fact. We do so for the blacks. Blacks are exterminated via abortion at greater percentages than whites. So don't get on your high horse, Kamala Harris, and suggest that we're the ones degrading the woman. No, we're the ones guarding the dignity and identity, the humanity of the female. We don't want to kill them when they're young, and we want to give them their rights and their identity when they're mature. We believe women are real. We're not going to pretend they're fake and can be discarded just because of your misogynistic politics. Well, I'm, I feel better about getting the number wrong, by the way, because it would be 31.5 if it was 50%, not 32.5. Uh, and, and thank you, though, for correcting me, because you're right. That, that, is, that is very, very true. Um, and it's not just true in the United States. Not that Roe versus Wade impacts anything else around the world, but we all know, of course, China with the one-child policy, and particularly when, when little babies are born, they were doing post-birth abortion uh, there, of course, uh, as, as little, little girls were born and just immediately had their lives snuffed out because they don't want to create more of the overpopulation problem here. So if you are a pro-death, and, and by the way, I, I, I know that sounds extreme, but I, I pointed this out just a couple of days ago on the radio and online, Dr. Piper, you know, what's the opposite of, of life? And the answer is death. So the opposite of the pro-life movement is the pro-death movement. I'm tired of this word choice. I want them to just own it. You're pro-death of pre-born babies if you don't like something about your situation or the babies. If you're pro-death, just go ahead and own that. And I think if we put it in those stark terms, maybe, just maybe, it might make somebody a little bit sheepish and a little bit embarrassed to hold the views that they do, and they may rethink it. Agree. And not that I'm correcting you, but I would suggest adding to your argument I don't even use the word pre-born any longer. These are the youngest children among us. When a woman suffers a miscarriage, she says she lost her baby. When a woman is carrying to full term, she celebrates the fact that she's carrying a baby. She's going to have a baby. She's going to give birth to a baby. This is a human being. And I think we should just discard all other qualifying language and just say, this is a human being. It's the youngest and most vulnerable human being among us. And we're just going to kill it because we find it inconvenient. That is butchery. That is not the way civilized people behave. No, it is the exact opposite of that. It's barbarism. You're exactly right. Dr. Everett Piper, that's why we have you on. Thank you. Terrific uh, analysis. And thank you for putting in terms that everybody can understand. We appreciate it, doctor. Blessings. Bye-bye. Dr. Everett Piper joining us as he does each and every Thursday on AM 1420, The Answer, Always Right Radio. News time now. And on the other side of the news... There is a new GOP nominee for the Senate seat being vacated by Rob Portman. 
You won a very, very tough uh, primary fight after enjoying the uh, endorsement of President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump. He, of course, is J.D. Vance. He joins me next to talk about what comes next, the fight with Tim Ryan on AM 1420, The Answer. upside down and the majority turns to the left turn to the right always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer 1038 now we continue on always right radio am 1420 the answer online at alwaysright.us alwaysright.us thanks again to uh, dr everett piper thanks to dave rubin and this is the one we have been waiting for i know you have been waiting for you know it's it's amazing can you imagine running a marathon and then getting to the end, and you finally break the tape after three, four, or in my case, 17, 18 hours of running. And then when you get there, they say, okay, now the race starts. Now you got to do it all over again. Because that's what happens when you win a grueling primary fight, like the one that J.D. Vance just won against some very, very stiff competition in the GOP uh, Senate race. Now that the race is over, the race is only beginning. Now it gets harder. Now he's got to beat Tim Ryan to uh, ascend to the seat that is being vacated by Rob Portman. So one thing at a time, let's welcome J.D. Vance back to our program on AM 1420, The Answer, for the first time as the verified GOP nominee for that seat. J.D., good morning. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm great, thanks. Not as good as you. I didn't win a race. Uh, how do you feel? <laughs> I mean, I, when you saw the return starting to come in, or let me rephrase, what was your attitude as the day went on? Did you feel like, I feel really confident going into tonight, or were you really nervous, have the butterflies uh, you know, in your stomach, uh, and then how did that change as you saw the numbers start to roll? Yeah, well, a little bit of both, right? I mean, I, I felt good, like we were going to win. I also felt like it could be very close, and you know, having never been on a ballot before, uh, you just never know how this stuff is going to shake out. I, I mean, I will say that you know, pretty early on, I mean, I'd say maybe maybe 10 till 8 or so, when the early returns from the early voting started coming in, you know, what what we had thought and my, our sort of theory of the case was if the early voting, if we lost it by a little, we would win the race and do it, you know, comfortably enough that it wouldn't be a late night. And it was looking pretty consistently like we were winning the early vote by a little, and that, that just immediately seemed like a very good sign. And then when the, the the same you know the day of vote started to, to report, uh, it just you know kind of blew things wide open for us. And you know I, I I thought I'd win. I didn't necessarily think we'd win by eight and a half points, but you know it's good. And, and it's you know like I like I said in my in my victory speech, uh, the real race. And as you just said, the real race starts. And you know we've got to we've got to go out and earn the votes of all the people uh, who just ran really hard campaigns and all their supporters. Uh, but then we've also got to you know try to try to attract some some people who didn't vote in the primary at all, so we can actually beat Tim Ryan. Now that's key, by the way. I was very disappointed with the turnout. really, really bothers me when people don't think that these matter. This is your opportunity to really choose who you think is the best person, not waiting to see what somebody else picks in the primaries, and then I'll vote for whoever wins in the general. I think, I think, I think it's a dereliction of duty for people not to cast their votes in races like this. But I want to talk about what you just said. Uh, J.D., uh, you know, I, I asked you very tough questions. A lot of people did over the course of the last five, six months. Um, and, you know, it, it's about your, your credentials, your true America First credentials, and so on and so forth. 
Um, there were people after President Trump's endorsement, as you know, who weren't happy, and there are people after you won who weren't happy. And I'm talking about the Mandel sure. supporters. I'm talking about the Gibbons supporters. I'm talking about some people who said they just don't know if they can trust what you have been saying more recently compared to what you've said in the past. So looking at a Josh Mandel voter right now, especially after the real, you know, it got, it got pretty... It got pretty vicious there uh, in the last sure. week or two in terms of the campaign ads against one another, both calling each other frauds, both calling each other in you know, all kinds of things, if not yourselves, certainly your uh, your campaigns. How do you look at a Josh Mandel voter right now and say, come with me, this is important, I swear I won't let you down? How did he say that to a Mike Gibbons supporter? What do you say to them? Well, I think the easiest thing is is to point out the fact that we really don't want, given all the craziness that's going on in the country right now, to give the Democrats a seat right now. Uh, but I, I think that's maybe the cheap way out. You know, it's sort of like, well, you know, I'm not as bad as Democrats, so vote for me. I mean, I, I guess the thing that I'd, uh, I, I, the pitch I'd make to those voters is even since I've won the race, uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not running as an establishment guy. I'm not running as a rhino. I don't know if you saw, but yesterday I blasted Carl Rove. Uh, because I think he's a slime ball, and I think the more that I've learned about how he was trying to destroy my campaign, the more frustrated I get. And and I think it's important because so many of the Mandel and Givens voters, in particular, they don't want somebody who's going to go along to get along. Uh, we actually need a Republican who's going to stand for our own voters. And uh, you know that's that's uh, you know the, the way I think about this at the end of the day is those people uh, don't owe me their vote. I have to go out and earn it. And I'm going to spend the next six months trying to do that. But I, I really do think, Bob, that, that when, when the time comes in November and people see how I conduct myself over the next six months and people see what we're up against in the Democrats, I, I think the gross majority of Mandel and Gibbons supporters are going to vote for me. And that's, you know, but again, that's the game I have to play and that's the, the work I have to do over the next six months. Yeah, you, you do. And by the way, super quick, um, what specifically about Rove are you referring to? I saw Young Tucker last night. Well, I heard you say that too. Yeah. What, what is it that he did, uh, as far as you say, trying to destroy your campaign? Well, a couple, a couple things actually. I mean, one is is a, a couple of million dollars that was dropped into the race, and really at a point where it couldn't have done anything other than damage me in in anticipation of the fight against the Democrats. I mean, it came in so late. Um, you know, the the some of the ads ran well after most of the votes had already been even even cast. Uh, that was that was you know put in by a group of establishment rhino donors and uh, Carl Rove, of course, had encouraged them to do that. I found out from a couple of sources. There are also a couple of people who had promised me that they would help our campaign, you know, financially or otherwise, uh, who said that they wouldn't because Carl Rove had been making phone calls uh, saying JD is a particularly dangerous kind of Republican. Uh, and, I, and I think it, this, this encapsulates so much. I mean, frankly, Bob, of what I didn't see about the, the Republican establishment in 2016, but I certainly see now is these people expect total unflinching loyalty from the base, a base that they often stab in the back, uh, but they themselves, even after a primary is effectively over, they, they don't play that game. They don't expect themselves to be loyal. It just really frustrates me. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I'm like one of these people, I'm still very optimistic about our country. I think even most Democrats, the voters at least, not the elites, but the voters of the Democrat Party, most of them are good people. Most of our voters are great people. But I think the leadership of the political class in this country is just unbelievably corrupt. And, Bob, uh, there are some things I'd say on the record, like I just did. There are some things I'd say off the record. But that has been the lesson of the last year is the extraordinary corruption of even our own party. Uh, we are talking with uh, Senate candidate J.D. Vance, now officially the GOP nominee for the seat held by Rob Portman, of course, which is being vacated. Now, J.D., I could interview, for you, interview you for six straight hours and never run out of questions. 
but I've asked you. Sure. Well, you, you know that to be the case. Um, so what I did yesterday is I tried to do some advanced scouting for you, and I asked people on my social uh, pages when I told them I was going to have you on again today, what do you need to hear from J.D. Vance? What do you need to, ha- to bring you around if you're a skeptic? You know, again, if you were Mandel or Gibbons or, or didn't vote at all or if you have questions, what do you need me to ask him to help you decide if you're going to come around and support him? Which, by the way, I do fully. I, I, I told, uh, and I think everybody in the race has said they would support the eventual winner, and, uh, and I'm sure you're getting that from, from the others. But, um, you know, what I've always said is, uh, you know, we need to build a wall between the Democrats and power. And in this case, we need to build a wall, borrowing President Trump's uh, actual wall, between Tim Ryan and the United States Senate. And that means supporting the winner, which is you. And we need to get everybody to do that. So I said, what do you have? What I have to ask him and what does he have to answer to get you to support J.D. Vance if you weren't a Vance supporter in the primary? So I've got a ton of questions that came in and I'm going to try to kind of rapid fire them at you. Sure. Uh, and these are yeah. what people want to know. So these are right off my Facebook and Truth Social pages. So here we go. Uh, first one is, J.D., why were you not registered as a Republican voter on Ohio voter records? Yeah, very simple, because I didn't vote in the 2020 Republican primary. Obviously, I voted for Trump in 2020, uh, but I didn't see a primary really worth having. And it's kind of weird. In 2018, I actually did send in an absentee ballot. I was, uh, I was actually on a work trip uh, when, uh, when we had Election Day in 2018, but apparently didn't come in, uh, didn't count. Uh, I probably Maybe I sent it in too late. But if you don't vote, in, it's the most recent two elections. So if you look at my full voter history, I voted in Republican primaries in the state of Ohio, you know, many times, just not within the past, I think, two cycles, which is which is where this hit came from. So I actually have registered as a Republican before. I've only registered as a Republican. I just didn't do it apparently in 2018 or 2020. Got it. Thank you. Uh, does he support? This is again a Facebook question from a, from a listener slash uh, a friend. Uh, does he support a two term limit for the office he is pursuing and all others? I don't know if I've ever asked yeah. you about term limits. Uh, well, two, two term limit for the Senate, yes. Uh, I would not support a two term limit for the House. I think probably eight or eight or, or sorry, four or five terms is probably the right number in the House. Uh, that would be because you know House terms are so much shorter. Of course, uh, but I'm, I'm very much a I'm very much a term limit guy, and I don't think that anybody should go to Washington and park themselves for more than ten or twelve years and just you know suck off the public teeth. I also think it's incredibly corrupting when the bureau, bureaucrats spend forty years. And so, an argument I make about term limits is they should apply to legislators and bureaucrats. They should apply to you know, Tony Fauci as much as to me. Uh, JD, next question from our Facebook crowd is this: What is your view of Rob Portman as a senator? You know, I mean, there's obviously Portman endorsed Timken. I was not happy about that. Uh, there are some things I agree with Portman on. Uh, I really, you know, really strongly disagreed with some of his approach on trade, some of his approach, you know, on the infrastructure bill, which I think unfortunately gave the Democrats this sort of fake bipartisan flag to wave. Uh, so I'm definitely more conservative than Rob. Um, but I also recognize, you know, he did some good things, and I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not going to take away from that either. So, you know, I plan to be a more conservative senator than Rob Portman. Um, but I'm also, you know, also want to support in this race and think he did a lot of good things for Ohio. Uh, a different uh, Facebook question about a different senator. What does J.D. think of Mitt Romney? Because that's who I believe he will be like. <laughs> I'm just uh, reading well, them now, all right? I'm just reading them. I, I, I ask I you my own. <laughs> but these are, these are the, from well, the people. Well, you know, it's, of course, and it's, it's, it's interesting, of course, that a lot of the Mitt Romney political establishment really tried to take me down in this race. 
Um, I mean, look, my, my view on Romney is that I think it's, it's indicative of everything that's wrong with the Republican establishment. This guy was our nominee in our party in 2012. And, of course, I voted for him. Um, but the fact that 10 years later he's voting for a very radical Democrat Supreme Court nominee, the fact that he, he trains his fire more on Republicans than anybody else. I mean, I, look, I think the problem with Mitt Romney, and I think, you know, the person who asked this question is probably thinking a little bit about 2016. I'll be honest with you, Bob, it was probably a problem with me, too, six or seven years ago, is I cared too much about the approval of the media. And I think that's, that's the problem with media or with, with Romney is he wants the approval of people who will never give us a fair shake. And so he's constantly tap dancing for the other side. Um, even though he might have good values, at least some of the time, he's constantly tap dancing for people who hate our voters. Uh, I'm not going to play that game, and I wish he wouldn't either. We're talking with J.D. Vance this morning, asking J.D. your questions uh, that I've asked you for. Uh, what will it take? What does he have to answer for you to say, I'm in Camp Vance, and I'm going to try to stop Tim Ryan, and we're going to win this race? Uh, the next one, J.D., is what is his opinion of Liz Cheney and the January 6th investigation committee? Well, the, the, you know, I'm very close to Don Jr. He's become a pretty good friend over the last couple of years. You know, again, talk about the corruption of the political class. I think what people don't realize about the, the fake January 6th committee is that it's completely not interested in actually identifying, you know, what caused January the 6th. Uh, they're not asking any of the tough questions that should be asked about that day. Like, for example, was anybody in the FBI in the crowd, right? That's been asked of the FBI leadership. The FBI leadership has refused to answer. Um, but more importantly, in some ways, is that the text messages that they're subpoenaing, I have had friends aside from Don Jr. who have had their text messages subpoenaed by this January the 6th committee, uh, they're being leaked to the media. Um, and so it's not really about discovering or identifying anything. It's really about harassing people who supported Donald Trump, including members of his own family. So I think it's a sham. It's not going to ever uncover anything useful. Uh, luckily, I think that the, the most voters just don't care. And I don't think the Democrats are going to get anything useful out of it either. Uh, I will say, you know, Liz Cheney, hard to imagine a person I disagree with more strongly. I mean, you know, you and you and you and I, Bob, disagreed a little bit over the Ukraine-Russia issue. And how aggressive our response should be. And one of the things I'd say about Liz Cheney is that it, it, all of her anti-Trump thing, it's not about Trump. It's about two things, trade and foreign policy. If, if Donald Trump was weak on China and if he wanted to drop a hydrogen bomb on Moscow, Liz Cheney would be his biggest fan. It's not about anything other than that. And I think she's the worst kind of Republican, and I'm glad she's not going to be in the party in a couple of years. Very strong. Uh, J.D., this one is very simple. What is a woman? An adult human female. What is a female? That's my follow-up, because I do that all the time when people ask me, because that's, you know, you see that definition, well, it's an adult human female, but then you say, okay, what does it mean to be female? The left, of course, would tell you that it means whatever you feel like you are inside of your head. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a person with female reproductive organs and the genetic makeup of, of a woman. I, mean, I think that's, that's, that's what it is. Don't you find and it interesting, I, 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 by the way, J.D., I'm sorry, but don't you find it interesting that suddenly they, they have figured out what a woman is again now that that Roe versus Wade uh, a draft opinion has been like? Suddenly they need a victim, victim class here. They need to be able to scream misogyny and sexism. And so they got Kamala Harris and everybody. How dare there. they? How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? Suddenly it's woman who's, who, who can have babies and not birthing persons, <laughs> not males. And did you notice there was no hesitation on the pronouns there? She and her right away. Isn't it funny how women become women yep. again when they need them to be women? 
Well, it just shows this is all this entire farce is all about political power. But, yeah, I think it was Gavin Newsom or some other Democrat was giving a speech within the last couple of days. And I remember thinking that I had said something similar, um, you know, just about the differences between men and women. And I would be called, you know, I, w- I was called a transphobe when I said those things. And, of course, uh, they're not they're not interested in transphobia now that it's not politically useful. You know, Bob, but one thing I want to say just about this whole trans issue that I think is very important and this is something I'm going to hammer in the general election is, you know, Democrats always say that they're the party of the working man, the party of working people. And that's a farce on its face. But one thing that's really disgusting and vile about this whole trans moment that nobody's talking about is that the pharmaceutical companies are lobbying the medical industry, the medical accreditation boards, and also our own state legislatures to effectively allow experimentation on young children in a way that makes those pharmaceutical companies very wealthy. This is the thing that not enough people talk about, that when nine-year-olds are given hormonal therapies, somebody's getting rich from it and somebody has lobbied for it, and that is a very, very dark thing. If we learn anything, we should be, we should be really, really cautious about the biomedical security state in this country. I could not agree more with that. Uh, a couple more here, J.D., before you go, uh, the listeners are asking. Um, what uh, excuse me will he be strong enough to stay away from the money of the special interest groups especially money coming from silicon valley yeah of course and i know this is one of the hits on me and we've talked about this bob but you know the only real major donor from silicon valley i've 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 taken money from is peter Thiel, who i don't agree with on everything but i think is actually very aligned uh with with you and me and with with the listeners of the show um you know at, at the end of the day Money is definitely a corrupting part of politics. I've learned this uh, over the last year. I think we need real campaign finance reform in this country. I think, frankly, McCain-Feingold, which was, of course, this 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 you know legislative effort by John McCain. Nobody talks about this, but one of the things that it did is really empower the money people in the establishment, uh, and that that's something we have to, I think, ultimately look at. You're never going to have a Republican Party for the people with the current campaign finance laws that we have in this country. Um, J.D., uh, next question is, uh, did it bother you that President Trump couldn't remember your name and called you J.P. and then J.D. Mandel? <laughs> I've been no, playing that one over I mean, and over again. It drove, it drove me nuts. It drove me nuts. Go ahead. You no, know, not at all, actually. I mean, the, the president, first of all, like, I talk to the president every other day, um, and, and, you know, since the endorsement, he called me every other day and was checking in on the, on the polls and, you know, how's it looking and what's the energy on the ground? And, you know, I mean, he gives thousands of words worth of speeches every single week. You can't expect a guy, I mean, hell, I give a 500 word speech and I screw up a couple of words, right? Uh, so I, I think sometimes people misspeak. It's nothing other than that. And, uh, I'm, I'm very certain that the president is, 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 was, and remains a big supporter of mine. J.D., how do you plan to navigate the cesspool of hatred that you'll have to endure through the remainder of this campaign and once elected? You know, rely on my family. Uh, you know, rely on, obviously, I'm a, I'm a strong Christian, was, was baptized for the first time, actually, a few years ago. Um, I, I think that's the only way to really do it. it. It is, you know, I think you have to go into this, if at least if you're going to do it the right way, and accept that it's a spiritual war. And the only way to win a spiritual war is to actually fight it, but, but to know that it's going to be a little tough. Uh, but if, if you're if you've got the right foundation, you can get through it. Um, you know, Josh Hawley, who's become a very good friend of mine, was campaigning with me in Ohio on Sunday and Monday right before the election. And, you know, it's just one of the things I really liked about him. It's not just what he says publicly and what he does. It's he's, he's been a very good mentor to me 
on how to not get caught up in the disgusting swamp of D.C. Uh, he has actual strategies for how he tries to tune out the worst parts of D.C., you know, while embracing his friends and his allies. And, you know, I, I think, you know, everybody's going to have their own strategy, but but we're certainly going to have one uh, to try to avoid getting caught up in the worst parts of that town because it is it is a scummy town. They call it the swamp for a reason. Yeah, no doubt about it. J.D., last one for you, and this one's going to be mine, just because you brought up Josh Hawley. I like him a lot as well. You had a lot of high-profile, really, really conservative senators going for uh, various people. You know, you you obviously, or excuse me, Mike, Mike Gibbons had Rand Paul in his corner. Ted Cruz came out for Josh Mandel. You had Senator Hawley uh, and others. Do, do you think, in addition to getting the other candidates to get behind you, now that you're the nominee, do you think that the other senators who supported the other candidates will join that cause and get behind you? I really do. Yeah, I, mean, I talked to Ted Cruz actually the night of the election. Very, very gracious and cordial. Uh, I'm sure, you know, Ted is, Ted is a warrior, and he's going to keep on fighting, and he's going to help me beat Tim Ryan in general. Uh, I'm sure that I'll talk to, to Mike Lee and Rand Paul in the coming days. Uh, you know, I've, I've got good relationships with both of them, even before, you know, they endorsed uh, they endorsed Mandel and Gibbons, respectively. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about that. I think, look, um, we all just should have learned the hard way over the last couple of years exactly what's at stake. And I really don't doubt that that the the, the most conservative people are going to be out there to support me and defend me. Uh, the, the the challenge that we have, I think, in our campaign is, you know, we've we've got to get the strong conservatives, we've got to get the moderate Republicans, we've got to get a few other people as well. And that that to me is the goal. And you've got to do that, I think, not by compromising, not by running to the center as all these consultants want me to do, but by actually articulating a vision of conservatism that's appealing. Uh, to people all across the state of Ohio. And I think we can do that, and I think we will. J.D. Vance is the GOP nominee. He's going to be facing Tim Ryan in the fight to keep a red seat red and hopefully make it a little bit redder, quite frankly, because my answer to the question about Rob Portman would have been a little bit different than yours. I was very disappointed in the level of conservatism and the strong uh, message that I, I think was lacking there, and I hope you can improve upon that if and when you get into that seat. We'll be doing our part to keep it red by supporting you. I hope everybody else will do the same thing, and we hope we can continue to get your message out there uh, as, uh, as the coming months go uh, come and go. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Thank, thank you, J.D. J.D. Vance is the guy. You may or may not have wanted him, depending on how you voted, but he is the guy. And uh, I think it is incumbent upon all of us. It's extremely important for all of us to give him the support he needs to beat Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan would be and will be a disaster. J.D. Vance gives us a chance to have a more conservative candidate or senator rather than we have there right now. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway now. Nine minutes past 11 on this Thursday, the fifth morning in the fifth month, year of our Lord 2022. 
Happy Cinco de Mayo to you for the third time this morning. If indeed you are celebrating Cinco de Mayo, then why not? Thanks to J.D. Vance. Thanks to Dr. Piper. And uh, thanks to Dave Rubin. All of whom joined us this morning. Great conversations. All, if you miss any one of those interviews, any one of those conversations, you can always catch them on the WHK radio page or on alwayswrite.us. We keep everything right there. A link, which is a link to the WHK page, by the way, for the podcast. So anything that you missed, make sure you check it out. Also, go to alwayswrite.us to sound off on um, whatever it is that we're talking about. If you can't wait on hold during the show, that's okay. Uh, And if you're not listening live, maybe you're listening to it on delay or on podcast, um, you can always be heard anyway by sending a message at alwayswrite.us to the uh, sound off button there. Just click sound off. It'll tell you to start recording. It'll tell you to stop recording. It'll tell you push send. and It'll come right to me, and I will indeed play your questions and your comments uh, on the air. As a matter of fact, it works like this. Bob. What group do you think I should join to help to work toward a constitutional amendment petition to close Ohio primaries and have primary runoffs? Thanks. You know, Tim in Westlake, first of all, I love your email address. He uses Reagan.com, as do I. I cannot recommend Reagan.com highly enough. Reagan.com is a, a terrific. It costs like 3 bucks a month. It's like 36 bucks for a year. Seriously, 3 bucks a month. It's nothing for secured email. Any of the others that you're talking about, Gmail, which reroutes things and uh, censors conservative um, uh, messages, putting them in people's spam boxes and so forth. Yahoo is prone to attack. I do use use Yahoo a little bit for less important things, but uh, I love the Reagan.com email provider. Anyway, Tim, I couldn't name a group for you, but I totally agree with you. We need to close the primaries. Open primaries is a very, very bad thing for the state of Ohio. We had, I believe, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, perhaps, of Democrats cross over in the election on Tuesday and cast their votes for the most Democrat-like candidates. Uh, and that's a problem, because that essentially is truly what the left likes to call an attack on democracy. If you don't let one party actually choose their own nominee to run against your party, you are attacking the system itself. And open primaries allow that to happen. So I don't know if there's a group you can join, but I would highly recommend contacting your state representative. I would highly recommend recommend contacting the office of the Secretary of State. He runs the elections. Frank LaRose just won re-election. Contact him and tell him, we want closed primaries, so you have to have been a registered voter for a particular period of time in one party to cast a ballot in that party's primary. I just think that's very, very important to do. So I'm with you. I just don't have a group to tell you about. Bob, until we get the election process straightened out and running true, it doesn't really make much difference, I think, who we vote for. Uh, however, between um, J.D. Vance, um, when it comes to J.D. Vance, I think I'm going to do a write-in for Alfred E. Newman. <laughs> Vance has already proven himself. Uh, Thanks don't for listening. Do Martin, thank you for leaving the message there on alwayswrite.us from Kent. Don't do that. Don't do that. I've said this before. You might not believe in J.D. Vance's conservative credentials. You might think he's got all of the wrong associations. But thinking those things is different than knowing that Tim Ryan is an avowed socialist, borderline Marxist, leftist. Tim Ryan is all of the things that you don't want J.D. Vance to be. 
So if you know that Ryan is those things, then you cast a vote for J.D. Vance and hope that he's not. And quite frankly, I don't think he is. Do I think he's the Ted Cruz? Do I think he's, uh, uh, who else, uh, uh, Tom Cotton? Do I think he's Josh Hawley? Do I think he's Rand Paul? Do I think he's one of the most conservative guys that would be in the Senate? Not at this point, I don't. He doesn't have a record. All we have is what he says. He doesn't have a record to show me that he's those, those things. But do I think he's Bernie Sanders? Right? Do I think he's Chuck Schumer? Do I think he's Liz Warren? Do I think he's uh, 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 Spartacus? <laughs> do I think he's Tim Ryan? No, no, no. He cannot be worse than those, which means he can only be better than that. And if it's 5% better or 10% better or 20% better, if I think, here's the thing. A Green New Deal bill comes before the Senate, and it's on the Senate floor for a vote. I know Tim Ryan is voting yes. A bill to abolish the legislative filibuster comes before the Senate. I know Tim Ryan is voting yes. A bill comes before the United States Senate to make Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico states, adding four more leftist senators to the Senate. I know Tim Ryan is voting yes. I don't think J.D. Vance would vote yes on those things. And even if he might, which I don't think he would, there's, there's, there's something to hope for in that might word. If you know we're going to get bad decisions, leftist decisions, Marxist decisions from Tim Ryan, and there's a chance we don't get those same things with J.D. Vance, then you have to support J.D. Vance. You have to play the odds here. Writing an Alfred E. Newman is not going to do anyone any good. All right, uh, speaking of elections, I want to bring Johnny uh, uh, onto the airwaves. Johnny is my producer who actually runs our show and does so much more. He's really a jack-of-all-trades, does tremendous things for us. Yesterday, he was a moviegoer, and he bought a ticket and went to a movie last night, and he wants to tell us about it. John, what'd you go see last night? 2,000 Mules. Oh, 2,000 Mules. I thought maybe you went and saw Spider-Man. or No, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> 2,000 Mules we've been telling everybody about for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we even had Dinesh D'Souza on and interviewed him. His interview is also up on uh, the webpage. But Dinesh D'Souza is the uh, uh, filmmaker who made 2,000 Mules that talks of and tells the story through video evidence of an attempt to hijack the presidential election in certain cities and in certain battleground states through ballot harvesting and ballot box stuffing. Now, we get a little tiny taste of it in the trailer. I even played the trailer for you before the interview with uh, Dinesh D'Souza. But, Johnny, I didn't see it. You saw it. What can you tell us? Um, Well, first I want to say it was a pretty interesting movie, but um, they make the point at the beginning of the movie that the Democratic Party, throughout its long history, has had lots of, um, let's say, run-ins or what what you might call it with um, election fraud and election rigging and stuff back to the right. Tammany Hall days, even the presidential election of 1960 with JFK and all that stuff. So that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. But as far as the uh, 2020 election goes, they, they have cell phone pings and, and videos and all this blatant outright evidence of of these mules, just like these regular people running around and, and stuffing these ballot boxes with 5, 10, 15 ballots at a time. And they, they have the cell phone pings for these mules, so they know it's the same person, and the, the, these mules would visit these ballot boxes 
there would be like 20 or 20 or more ballot boxes in a certain area in a city and they would go and stuff these ballot boxes uh, 20 times they would visit these ballot boxes 20 times with 5 to 10 ballots at a time and they'd get paid for each ballot cuz they would have to take a picture of them stuffing the ballot in the ballot box and send it to whoever in order to get paid so what do they say about the possibility that these are not criminal acts, but that these are people who are just doing voters a favor? People that they know who voted and cast their ballots and need to get them to it, but they don't have a car, or they uh, can't get to the to the ballot box to drop them off. So, hey, will you take these to the ballot box and drop them in with me for me? Uh, you know, when you go to drop off yours, is there any? Well, do, they, do they address the possibility that these are all legitimate ballots that they're stuffing into the boxes, or do they know for a fact that these are illegitimate ballots? Well, they address it. First off, it's illegal in Georgia, and I'm pretty sure most states, to drop a ballot off that is not yours unless it's a family member. You can drop off, like, say it's your mother who's incapacitated or something like that. Right. You can drop off a family about. member's ballot, but nothing else. It has to be a family member. You cannot well, take ten ballots. So there's big families in Georgia and Arizona, right? I, mean, that's, I and guess. It, and, of course, I'm asking this tongue-in-cheek because I want people to understand here what we're talking about, about the, the illegality of it all. Uh, and, it's, and it's all evidenced there. Um, you, now, when you say stuffing them, I mean, we're, we're, we're really talking about not just drop one here, go to another box, another location, drop one there. We're talking about fistfuls of uh, ballots. Yes, stuffing. Like one of the videos showed a guy dropping ballots off at 3 in the morning, uh, you know, three in the morning, nobody's around. He's looking around. He's got his hood up. He's got like a mask on and everything, looking around. And he stuffs these ballots into this box, and <laughs> they drop out. And he's picking them up off the ground. And he's stuffing them in, and it drops out again. He wow. has a, a handful of ballots. That's wow. ridiculous. Um, so real quick, the reaction to it from some of the people. Like I know that Salem, of course, uh, co-produced this movie. And, you know, Larry Elder's in it, and Dennis Prager's in it, and Dr. Gorka's in it, and some others who are responding to uh, what they are seeing here. Uh, uh, do they believe? Or let me re- rephrase. What were their reactions when they saw the evidence here? Because I know a number of them said, no, I'm, I'm not a believer until you prove to, to me that this kind of thing happened. That was like uh, the best part of the movie for me was the reactions of, of Prager and Elder and everybody. They had, uh, you know, Gorka, Prager, Elder, um, Charlie Kirk even. Um, Dennis Prager was very uh, seemed very good about it. He said he was agnostic at first. He said yes, um, you know there there's uh, lots of you know he he said she said evidence about what happened, and he's agnostic. He's like I'm not going to declare that it's a stolen election unless you show me the evidence. And a couple of the other guys like Gorka and stuff said you know they they probably believed it was stolen and stuff. But after uh, they showed every all the hosts the evidence and everything. Um, Prager kind of came along and said, you know, it's not necessarily 100%, but in, in, a, in a court of law, you could definitely convict somebody uh, of voter fraud and all this stuff with all that evidence because it's just too too much to overlook. Right, right. And and then and by the way, Dennis was, of course, in Mar-a-Lago last night. We had Dave Rubin, who was there, too, watching this premiere of 2,000 Mules with President Trump. So that's why I'm in for Dennis today. So in about a half an hour, I will take Dennis's show for three hours. I know Charlie is on here, but uh, nationwide on the Dennis Prager Show, you can listen at Salem Now, or excuse me, Salem News, and also at uh, DennisPrager.com. Last thing, Johnny, um, 2000. 
why the number 2,000? There can't be 2,000 of these ballot stuffers, right? I mean, is, is that number just to make it sound big and sound uh, you know, like it's larger than life, or were there actually 2,000 participants in this? Well, in a lot of the bigger cities like Atlanta and uh, Phoenix and stuff, there was hundreds of mules, but in Philadelphia... That was uh, one of the worst cases there. They said there was up to uh, 1,500 or some mules just in greater Philadelphia metro, you know, just in that city alone. And it seems like Philadelphia has lots of problems with corruption and everything. It's insane. That is insane. And, And, Bob, I'd like to add that when I was there, we could barely find a seat. There was people sitting in the aisles to see this movie. So hopefully, you know, it got out, got the word out, you know. Yeah, I hope so. I, I really do, too. And I want everybody else to know, too, if you didn't get a chance to go get one of those seats in the aisles, uh, the home viewing of this is going to be available starting uh, Saturday, right? in fact, and now I've got to find the specifics. Um, but I know that it is Saturday. Uh, the the streaming version, if you will, will be available um, at 2000mules.com. I think that's all you got to do is go to 2000mules.com, and you'll find out how... Um, you can you can actually see this movie uh, from the comfort of your own home and not the aisle of some theater that is overcrowded. So 2000mules.com, and you will be able to see this on Saturday. I'm trying to pull this up before we go to break so that I can confirm what I'm saying uh, about the uh, home version of it. Yeah, virtual premiere. Here it is. Virtual premiere is Saturday, 8 p.m. There we go. There, uh, uh, yeah, S- uh, Saturday, 8 p.m. May 7th, 8 p.m., 2000 Mules virtual premiere. Uh, you can go ahead and uh, purchase it and, and, and watch it. Gather the family around, gather some friends around in your home, but watch it uh, on Saturday at 2000mules.com. The virtual premiere will be coming. Thank you, Johnny, for that uh, great recap. We'll come right back after this on AM 1420 DS. Eleven twenty-six. Let's get a few phone calls going here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Don't forget, we got uh, <clears throat> O'Reilly going to wrap up the hour, starting at about eleven forty-five. Then I'm going to come back on, and I'll be hosting for Dennis Prager today from noon until three at dennisprager.com and on the Salem News app as well. You'll hear Charlie Kirk, of course, live here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, and then Prager at one. But I'll be there for all three hours. Let's go to Charlie in Westlake. Hey, Charlie, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Uh, what a fantastic show today! You should be national. This was so great, all everything. But uh, uh, going back to Ruben, uh, about a year ago, I said, you know, we should revisit this gay marriage thing because it's a straight line to all this transitional and all this gender confusion and everything. It's straight 2015, and you said, no, nah, that horses out out of the barn and i don't think so I, all the leftists are also worried because of the uh, decision by the supreme court on roe that this may be revisited well it may be revisited i'm not uh, you know i think there's a straight line our country the fabric is being damaged marriage got weakened but the fabric who knew this transitional stuff would go through our schools and, and it's because the normalcy of the stamp of approval of a same-sex union, I mean, same-sex marriage. That's what I believe. Well, I think it was a monumental decision, uh, and and it was in some, You know what's funny about it? And thank you, Charlie, for the call. It, what's what's funny and not in a ha-ha way <clears throat> about it is that, like Roe versus Wade, um, it was completely and wholly made up by the Supreme Court justices of the time. In other words, 
Roe versus Wade essentially declared a constitutional right to abortion federally, and abortion was never, ever once mentioned in the Constitution. Never. The word doesn't appear anywhere in the Constitution. In the same way, marriage was never covered by the Constitution. Marriage as a construct was never something that was in uh, the Founding Fathers' sight lines, if you will. And in both cases, radical decisions wrote them in. If marriage isn't in the Constitution, then how can the Supreme Court justices say that gay marriage or same-sex marriage is constitutionally protected? It's just not. No kind of marriage is constitutionally protected. So they wrote that in there because it was a radical position that they wanted to advance. Same thing with um, uh, with Roe versus Wade when it comes to abortion. So, point being, what Charlie was just talking about is right. It was a monumental decision that did not have its basis in the Constitution, and it kind of led to what he called you know the normalizing or the normalcy of a whole lot of other alternative sexual lifestyles and identities is, I guess, the safest and best way to say that. Normalizing is a big, big part of the problem. Normalizing is a big, big part of the uh, the, the, the goal or the, the, the tools that the groomers use. That's why it's one of the words in Disney, the acronym DISNEY, that's on the T-shirt that I'm selling uh, at alwayswrite.us. It's one of our best sellers. It's Disney, D-I-S-N-E-Y, deceptive indoctrinators sexualizing, normalizing, and endangering youth. That's what they're all about now. Hashtag boycott the mouse. Normalizing is one of the key tools that they use, that it's just totally normal and totally cool for these types of lifestyles to be to be lived and, again, to be... Um, I won't say accepted because it's not anybody's place to accept somebody else's choices, but to normalize it as if to say this is okay brings about the next step. Well, if it can be two males or two women, why not three? Why not four? Why not two and two? Why not have you know a polygamy? And and it just grows and it expands from there. So normalizing is a big big part of that, Charlie, and I think you hit it right on the head. Quick time out. 11.30, news time. We'll come back, get more phone calls, and uh, tell you what's going on on the website, what's trending now at alwayswrite.us. Coming up, AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. 1138 now on AM 1420, The Answer, and always right radio. Don't forget, when I'm done here, you'll get some O'Reilly. And I'll be heading over to the Prager Show to host for Dennis Prager today from noon until 3. I'll have a lot of very important stuff to discuss with you there, some of which we hit in the first hour here. But if you missed it, you'll be able to catch up there at DennisPrager.com and also, of course, at uh, uh, the Salem uh, News app. Check that out and listen to the entirety of the Dennis Prager Show. And then if you listen to Charlie Kirk for the first hour here, then you get the last two hours of the Breaker Show with me sitting in today. Andy, Middleburg Heights, you're on AM 1420. The answer, go ahead, sir. Boy, what a dedicated listener I am. Two hours. Wow. Hey, Bob, 80 years old, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a holy roller, nothing like that. I just, uh, I don't think I'm confused. I think I have common sense. But if a woman 
would go out and take a knife and follow somebody and stab them, that's called murder. If these women go, that's premeditated murder. If these women know they're pregnant and they go out, they let themselves get pregnant, they go out and have their baby murdered, why aren't they in jail? Am I am I am I totally out in left field? Am I wrong? No, it's I, a question. I, it is people. a man. Maybe they, women tell me just to shut my mouth. But if <laughs> it, that that's premeditated murder, and if you read the Bible, we're all made in God's image. We're all God's children, and you're going against the Bible. You're killing another person. That's murder. Would you straighten me out? Uh, well, it must well be I, me. I, I can't. No, it's not, Andy, and I can't straighten you out because you're right. Um, and this has, of course, been the discussion and the debate for decades and decades and decades. What's really shocking to me, or striking, or whatever you want to call it, is that the president of the United States used the word "child." You you said we're all, and he actually said "child of God" too. He said, "As a child of God, it is my right. It is our right." as children of God, to make our own decisions. And I find that just striking, because he's saying that, as a child of God, I have the right to kill another child of God. Think about the impossibility of such a, uh, you know, of such a stance. How do you yeah, justify we, that? We, I, I believe children, and... I believe that human beings are children of God, and yet I am supportive of the right for human beings to kill other children of God. I just, I'd love to hear somebody ask him that, but they can't, or at least they won't. Uh, they yeah, can't you're get right. They, they won't ask him that. Why don't they ask him the hard questions? Why are they always pussyfooting around everything and, and skirting around everything instead of coming right out? Like you say, I'm a man. I have no, <laughs> I have no right to tell a woman anything like that. But I would think a woman's own conscience, if you took, and they sell these babies to Planned Parenthood and cut them up and sell their body parts, how can you sleep at night? I couldn't. I, I could not imagine. I've got two beautiful children. I can't imagine that I would have, have give one of them uh, to, be mur- to murder. I, I just can't understand why these women cannot see that what they're, they're backing is murder of another person. It's uh, it's through the magic of self-delusion is what it is. I mean, they just choose not to accept the recognized, incontrovertible evidence uh, How do you have and a scientific fact. Well, I mean, that's what I'm trying to tell you. They, 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 they have a conscience in their minds because they don't accept the scientific fact that it is a person, that it is a human being, that it is a child of God growing inside of the woman. Uh, that's their, their way they do it. It's the magic of self-delusion. They figure this is not a baby until it's born. This is not a human being until it's born. In the meantime, it's nothing but whatever. It's a part of my body, and I can do whatever I want with my body. Uh, am so I, I'll am say I this, wrong in, my, in my, my thinking? I mean, I just have common sense. I'm not a real smart guy, but well, I'm like just I said, using you common don't, sense. And, and just, yeah. Why don't these women open up the Bible and look at the passage where it says that this is murder? Well, man, well, man, well, many, many of them don't believe. Many of them, and thank you for the call, Andy. Many of them don't believe in the Bible. That's why they're not going to do that. By the way, you know, I was just talking about what Biden said about being child of God and so forth, and, and aborting a child. And you can't get that question through to him. You can't even get it through to propaganda Patty. Listen to Peter Ducey try to pin propaganda Patty, otherwise known as Jen Psaki, down on Joe Biden saying that that women should have a right to abort a child. Remember, he doesn't say have a health procedure or a health care visit with a provider to, you know, uh, 
to treat the woman's body, he acknowledged, did Joe Biden, that it's a border child. Listen to Pop Propaganda Patty respond to so, that. Uh, another one about abortion. Why is the president talking about the judgment to choose to abort a child? Well, the president's view on a woman's right to make choices about her own health care is well-known, well-documented, well-stated. You said abort a child. I understand, that- Peter, but what I'm telling you is, is what his position is. In other words, she cannot defend it. She cannot explain it because Biden slipped and said the truth out loud. Biden slipped and said that abortion kills a child. It's not just a health care procedure for a woman. It's it, it leads to the abortion, i.e. termination of the life of a child. So the idea that we're going to make a judgment that is going to say that no one can make the judgment to choose to abort a child based on a decision by the Supreme Court, I think goes way overboard. He said it out loud because somebody let him off script. They let him talk to reporters without, uh, you know, without note cards. And he said it. Peter Ducey asked Propaganda Patty, and you heard her say, I'm just telling you what the president's uh, view is. I'm telling you. Well, yeah, but that's not the view he articulated. He said child, and she's got nothing. She's got nothing. So she says, well, I'm just telling you what the president's view is. They can't defend. So this is my point. In answer to Andy, it is just through the magic of self-delusion. Pretend it's not real. Pretend it's not a real child. And even when you are, you, you slip and you say, I know it's killing a child. I know it. I'm not going to acknowledge it. I'm going to pretend I didn't say it. That's what Propaganda Patty did there. I'm going to pretend he didn't say it. This is his real view, not that one that he let out. I promise you I've got more thoughts on this that I'll be sharing on the Dennis Prager Show, which is coming up. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks to my guests. Thanks to Johnny. Thanks to you. Everyone have a great day, and let's go, Brandon. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.